revision.io. Uh, welcome to this round table. Uh, you might see, like, for the ones who have been at a different round table already, that we, like, iterated the format already. Um, I will give you a little instruction about why there is an empty chair. Um, and uh, also will frame our topic a little bit. And then I decided not to do an impulse. Uh, but, uh, yeah, with me are sitting uh, four humans already who will look at our topic uh, from very different angles. And uh, you guys can join the discussion basically at any time uh, by just sitting on this chair so we don't need to throw somebody out but like whenever uh, one of you guys want to come in uh, please just come in and if you have the feeling you said what you wanted to say please also leave the circle again is that clear so far okay awesome uh, so maybe to introduce myself uh, briefly my name is Franziska I work for an organization called uh, Enfants Terribles uh, yeah, we support individuals and organizations in uh, transformational processes. Um, of course, like in a work uh, context and, and uh, kind of under the label of the future of work in Germany called new work. Uh, so everything that is uh, driven by technology mostly, uh, but plays out at uh, yeah the human and organizational uh, level. And uh, the questions that I would like, or the, the frame that I would like to give this roundtable as well is that we don't stay so much in like kind of the philosophical uh, and theoretical uh, discussion, but that like we really talk about like our own experiences, like either as individuals uh, or as people who guide organizations or are in organizations uh, in transformational processes. Um, so maybe like I prepared some questions uh, that can kick off our discussions. Um, so how does the context of our work change? So basically the drivers um, that we are dealing with. How does this influence our organizations? Uh, how do we support individuals to embrace this change? And what tools and processes are helpful? Um, yeah, and with this, I would basically just hand over the mic to whoever wants to start here uh, in the circle, maybe introduce yourself, um, your context and your experience, starting with Nila. Okay. This is working? Yes. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Nila Kapretz. I'm co-founder and managing director of Impact Hub Berlin. Impact Hub is the world's largest network of social innovation spaces supporting uh, building communities for impact at scale. We support entrepreneurs around the world to build impact businesses. Um, we have founded Impact Hub Berlin around five years ago and we are now a team of around 20 people. And um, we are very strongly based on the principles around design thinking and the culture around design thinking. And uh, I think my approach was when I founded a company that I said I want to create a company where I want to work at and where everybody that works there wants to be there as well. Because I have a corporate background, I used to work for T-Mobile Marketing and that was something I learned. I said like that's not what I want to have in my company. But from what you don't know, you don't exactly need what you know what you do want to do. Um, so we went a bit like also trial and error, but we are, have a very open culture. We said we always wanted to 
um, be able to bring out the best in people. And uh, we just had a bit of a conversation around this, that bringing out the best in people actually needs space. And you also need to know the other people. The other people need to know what everybody knows and how to do, do you do this, uh, transfer, or this transfer of knowledge, what people can do in your organization. Um, I think one part when we look about future, new work, if I think back to my old work and to my current work, I think one, one of the biggest things I learned and what are very now ingrained in at least also the startup culture, but still I think it's not maybe so open and obvious for everyone, is this openness to failure. I was very much a perfectionist, especially coming out of corporate business and like you were never allowed to do any fail or uh, mistakes and um, there was very hierarchical. They were always the white man in the leadership positions telling you what to do and um, and there was very little uh, openness for feedback, creativity and so on. And I really had to learn, uh, and it wasn't that easy, but the, the reward was very high to openly to say 80% is enough. And you can, and, and also um, uh, embracing other people's comments and, and like really be a human-centered organization where everybody has a say at the table rather than really these hierarchical structures where the boss has all the knowledge. I think that's also what's really changing. Maybe it's like now information and knowledge is so accessible, so everybody can know the stuff, but you know your creativity in the way you think about things and how you can bring what you bring to the table has changed and who has what kind of views has changed. So I think that's also a big factor in uh, new ways of working as an input. And maybe I can already also add a question. Um, what I would be wondering is that we, uh, I, I feel like because we, we are very open in this kind of uh, how we embrace the needs of our, our staff and our people, but how do you maintain this momentum of always keeping up to date and keeping fresh and always uh, being on top of your toes in, in, in the newest developments of what is the future of work because it's not a thing that we future work sounds like one day we'll all be there but once we get there the future will be again somewhere else that's a really good question um, I'm Catherine Catherine Goudry um, I'm head of talent and transformation at Schultz and Friends which is one of the biggest agencies or agency groups in the DACH region. Um, I have a very operational background, so I come from the management side of things, and in my previous agency, I um, structured and accompanied a very fundamental change process, which is how I came to Schultz and & Friends, um, and my previous job showed me that I wasn't as excited as op about operations as someone who was sort of interim COO should be. Um, and I was very much interested in the impact this had on the people and how helping the people deal with that change and giving them the tools to manage that um, was actually what made the real difference. So if we're having financial issues, what do I need to teach my team? What tools do I have to give them in order to bridge that gap so that they can actually make money again. So how can I take away the pressure and actually give them the tools that they need in order to make change happen themselves? What information can I give them so that it's transparent without scaring them? Um, and how can I hire people who specifically help us affect change and support the process that's happening? Um, and when I came to Schultz & Friends, which um, has around 800 people, 
I held a lot of one-on-ones with um, with everyone, and I was hired because the company is very aware of the fact that, of course, you know, we live in a complex environment. They've been around for a while, and things are changing. And um, there's, uh, you know, the old German adages, the the siloization, the hierarchies don't really work anymore, and they're looking for um, a more open, international, and diverse environment so I was sort of and digital environment so as a digital woman of international background I sort of checked all of the boxes um, and started asking a lot of questions which in a German company is also a little bit unusual so I started just questioning everything and reporting on everything and um, that basically created my current position and in my current position talent and transformation are very linked because we strongly believe in everything that we're doing that, of course, the 800 people that we have there have to be very, very intimately um, involved in the process that we're that we're starting or have already started. And so we do everything basically from or on one day I'm going to be um, working in a new client pitch to look with clients or with our teams at how we managed to get more innovative and digital ideas into what we're doing. And another, we're talking about processes and structures and how we put the teams together for that. And on another, even, I'm looking at what kind of development the people need and the support that they need and who should actually be in the company. So um, I wanted to sort of go back to your thing on on, on openness and vulnerability and um how to future-proof um, yourself, and I think you can't. <laughs> the best you can hope for probably is um, to look at where you want to go and to make sure that you create spaces so that people who help you get there can sort of come on board and help you do that. I think it's very much about um, trying to maintain that a, a culture of innovation and the adaptability that you need, I think, in order to know that you should always be open to change. Um, and surprisingly enough, I think that's one of the hardest things to maintain because people are very comfortable or like to be, um, and change is an uncomfortable process. So maybe that's sort of part of the part of the answer to how you can future-proof yourself besides tools and 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 all sorts of different. Um, tactics that you can do that you sort of maintain an openness for change and adaptability. Um, yeah, I'd actually would like to hear from Jana a little bit on her experience um, implementing different tools, um, programs, processes in order to facilitate transformation. Yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Jana, Jana Piersdorf, uh, working as a self-employed uh, organizational designer and coach. And uh, also like Catherine, I'm have uh, I am coming from the operational management side of things. I used to work with a lot of teams, uh, manage leading projects in a digital space. And after 12 years, then I decided, okay, it might be good to just for me to change my focus and uh, try to think about how I want to work and um, how I can help teams uh, to build their environments uh, so then they can really um, aim to what they want to achieve, that they can really um, unlock their potential and uh, grow as a team. 
And um, what I experienced uh, working as an organizational designer is the challenge of having like a top management who's really aiming of a transformation, who really wants to uh, transform the organization into a future state, into something new, because uh, it might be because the every, everybody out, out there is... Um, um, talking about new ways of working. We need to be an agile living organization. So the pressure, I think, from the outside world is really high for the companies to, to decide, okay, now we need to transform. But then they often, um, create like for their company, like, um, a future state of how the company should be in the future, how the structure should, uh, should, should change, uh, we need to get rid of hierarchies. We need to transform our teams into self-management teams. They need to, from now on, work um, um, autonomous. They really need to decide everything on their own. We only need to provide them the information, and then they can do it. And um, it often, like what I experienced, is there's a lag between like the top management and really. Uh, um, and the managers and also like the teams because quite often you have um, and you can take like um, corporates, you can take digital agencies, you have like um, grown um, structures and hierarchies and quite often you have the middleman who is really squeezed between on one hand side they need to deliver short term results and on the other hand they need to um, achieve long term strategic goals. And for the, for the top management, because they are just um, out of um, out of the operations, they are not involved in the day to day business. They don't really get how much energy it is and how much it needs to um, to change stuff or to um, yeah to um, to de deliver something. And um, for me, coming to your question about what are the methods and tools, my approach really is to to help these managers to give them like new methods and might be like a new m meeting format where they can just uh, also reflect their own p position in, in the team and where they can really um, get the team members to help figuring out what is the best way to go, how to make a decision and not really uh, just to be there in command and control. Okay, now I tell you what you have to do and yes, and you need to figure it out. But really just this little step so that the managers can also um, reflect their own position within their within the organization and they need to understand okay my role is now changing because the top management wants to somehow transform but i'm still stuck and i need to have something where i can just um reflect my role also and where i um can decide okay i i, I want to play this or this role and i have someone who's helping me to implement in my team a new method, a new tool for collaboration so that also the team members stand up and get more proactively in terms of uh, making decisions together or just self-managed uh, do the things that they have to do and they don't wait for me to tell them what they have to do. So, yeah, this is like maybe a quick intro. <laughs> And also, like, maybe in terms of your question towards, like, the future proof, I think there is no future proof. I think the only way is for me to help an organization or the teams to learn what it means to um, 
to know systemic thinking so that all the time they start to reflect and they start to realize, okay, I am one within a human system and whatever I, I do will affect to the team. And only, I think for me, only in this way, if, if you just have this systemic thinking, um, like um, in a company so that can grow, then you can be, the company can evolve over time and can really emerge. So. All very interesting. Um, my name is Emily Poole. How's the volume? I don't want to yell. You're okay? Okay. Um, and I'm an embodiment coach and an embodiment trainer. And you've all said things that I think are very interesting. Um, or embodiment coach and embodiment trainer means that um, I work one-on-one -on -one as well as with groups and teams and companies. Um, but teaching them skills and principles for... Um, managing change and experiencing change and I have a kind of a non-corporate odd skill set <laughs> um, that I never expected in a million years would suddenly have such a value in the world that we live in today. I think it's essential to include the body in all of this discussion. I think it very often gets forgotten. I think change and innovation, it needs space. It also needs real time. I think change is a very uncomfortable thing, also physically uncomfortable thing that people need to learn how to be able to handle better. Um, I think that the management also needs to give the time and space and go through the discomfort of change and be with their team and the whole thing. And, and I guess that's what, what I do. Or I, I would love to get my hands on lots of people and get them to breathe more and move more and experience more of the intensity that comes with change. I think when the intensity gets ignored, that's when things get theoretical and philosophical. I think there's a lot of intensity in the body that can be drawn upon and used and directed. I think it's, it demands time and space and learning to actually be physically present in meetings, in with colleagues, that there's a lot of physical experience there that we can really even, I don't know, use, draw from, play with, experience differently. Um, my husband and I started a project in 2016 called Embody and Explore, where we actually want to bring these principles and skills out into the world in lots of different contexts because we're all humans, we all face the same stuff. So that's my little introduction. So uh, I wrote down a couple of uh, yeah keywords, basically. And I think something that's really interesting and that a couple of you guys said is on the one hand that like change is hard. And you just said like change is uncomfortable. Um, and I think this is also like how we can make the connection basically on the one hand to the bigger context and on the one, on the other hand, like what you mentioned to the like very small context of the human uh, individual, because like we all experience change constantly. So this is obviously nothing that's just important in our organizations. It's uh, important in like any system uh, that we are part of. And I think the question for me is like, how do we manage like manage these cha this change like which is a strange word uh, to start with uh, but like how do we deal with change like how do we embrace change um, on an individual level and like how do we grow organizations uh, that are able to uh, yeah use it in a in a productive manner and like what are 
your experiences in it and I mean you guys come from like very different uh, perspectives and maybe also somebody from the audience uh, who would like to join and uh, say something about that. Just come in. So my name is Lukas Wilson. I'm I'm uh, I'm a lawyer, self-employed lawyer in Berlin. I focus um, on uh, helping startups uh, in different stages of their uh, development, from very early stage, uh, connecting with the founder, hiring first people, to uh, teams that are shortly before exit. Um, and uh, I found it very interesting what everybody said and. Uh, where I see the connection to my work, you know, I'm, basically I'm working as a lawyer, but what what I always experience is that there is not only the discomfort in change, but there is a lot of challenge in the start, in the start of a project. So um, when you look at the startup, you have a founder who, for example, mostly super creative people, super convincing people but mostly they did never do something like that before in their lives so they they hire the first five to ten people um, and then it's like gambling that's my experience there, there, mostly there is nobody to tell them how to um, how to bring up all the talents from these young people mostly they hire very young people half of them interns you know and um, and you they get the first investment on their account from the first investor. They have a million of euros, one million on the account. They're super excited and they want to execute. In six months, they want to make an exit. And my experience is nobody, nobody pays attention to, okay, who am I dealing with? Where are the talents? They don't create space for everybody in the team in the beginning to prevent uh, wrong developments and I, I saw it so many times that that after half a year after one year the team gets stuck or you have a separation between one part of the company like mostly the developers and then the other part of the company and there's so many questions that are, I think it's 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 a very very kind of well-known issue with with bigger organizations corporations um, but I think that there's also very very big need for startups that have teams like from five to let's say 30 40 people to also address exactly all these topics that you you were you were raising just i, I hand it over to you in a second but i think like the the perspective of startups um that you brought in is of course super important because also like they go through like these growth phases like you know and uh, i mean they are exactly um and I think something that I would like to ask the people in the circle are basically really coming down to like, what are your processes and your teams? Like, what are the routines, uh, the tools and so on that you use on the one hand to make sure that your team develops like as a team? And that your organizational develops. So, like, really practical tools. And I mean, Emily, uh, you as well, like, working on the, on the coaching side. Um, so yeah. First of all, I want to say, um, I think it's really interesting that you're a lawyer because we also, we were a startup a couple of years ago, a bit different because we're not aiming for exit. But realizing that if you work in this field of uh, innovation, collaboration, doing things differently, there's always also a legal part to it that you should always keep in mind. Because even if you say everybody can come to work and leave whenever they want because we're such an open organization. Uh, and one time somebody comes and says like, well, I have like, I don't know, 
over time or something, you're like, okay, but there's a legal component to it that you should also keep in mind. And that's sometimes also hard for young organizations because they don't realize that that's also a factor. Um, and maybe how we do it, as an example, we have, uh, uh, Sophie is here, who is on my team, so she knows it. Uh, we have a Monday, more every, every, we are 20 people, but every Monday we sit down together and we start with a minute of silence, so we all arrive. We have a structure where everybody can bring in their best priorities, a winning and a learning from the last week. We have a collective brainstorming. We have somebody always presenting a project. And then we also have a collective closing so we can go into the week and everybody's up to date. Um, I also thought that was very interesting because in my previous company, we were at around about that size of so 45 going on to 60 people and we had pretty much exactly that problem. So brilliant CEO who's actually the creative lead, but who's not really a people manager. Um, and I mean, the way that we actually managed that is that he had me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and um, I, um, we, we developed a very open feedback, um, a feedback loop with him as well. So um, helping him to understand, you know, um, what's going on, what's going on with who, why it's important, um, encouraging even or, or you know, what, what should be said in which moments, so even training that. Um, and on the other hand, also sort of helping the teams manage that. And what we also did a lot is we had uh, Monday meetings, monthly meetings, um, all of the different teams had meetings together to go through the different processes and improve them um, as well. Um, and that's sort of how we we manage that change in a sense by um, this man realizing very well that he's a very brilliant creative and can be at the helm of this organization, but of course needed um, the hands on the ground to sort of help uh, manage that. Currently in the larger um, business, which is sort of in the process of transforming, um, we do a number of different things. So we we're doing a lot of... Um, trainings in terms of active listening and um, um, empathy um, and uh, we are doing things also that are related to which is what made me smile earlier so body work and how the body relates to um, changes and also how sports can be sort of connected with management because a lot of people also have um, sort of problems with mindfulness because it sounds so woo-woo um, so we try many different approaches to catch as many people as possible and give them the tools to do that. And um, I concept workshops for us as well. And I try and make sure that part of the workshop is uncomfortable so that people actually have to deal with and learn to deal with sort of trying to open up and be vulnerable and doing things that they think are weird. It doesn't have to be very long, so we make them very short, the workshops, but... Um, We try and sort of challenge them as much as possible. And I was reading a, a, a book that actually also says uh, that many of the um, development and, and techniques that are on, on the market focus very much on sort of, yeah, you get a tool and then the tool helps you to manage that. And they're saying it's sort of all wrong because it makes it all too easy. And learning has to be, to a certain extent, related to sort of challenge and pain. You sort of, in order to have the feeling that you're learning something, it's not about, you know, winning the most likes or, sh or, sh or whatever. In, in a tool, it's sort of really about the experience of learning and like the pain of going through that. So um, I'm taking that 
really seriously because I think it's very true. Um, and we try and make certain things without painful, actually like desirable, interesting and somewhat curious so that people are sort of open to going through the pain a little bit more. Yeah, I think maybe you have probably a lot to say about that. I'd be super interested. So. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, the thing, maybe I can put it in the context of a project or a, a company that we're working with right now, um, who luckily we have very open-minded um, founders of the company who hired us basically for six months. So they understand that it takes time. They understand that it's a process. They understand that there will be uncomfortable moments of conflict and are very willing and wanting for their employees to go through it. Um, but also that it's the right amount. It shouldn't be too much. So it's trying to find the right amount where the learning can happen. Um, another thing that I find essential that often gets overlooked is teaching people to notice the difference between an automatic habitual response in their body versus fresh new attention in the moment. They're two very different physical experiences and you want to be able to maneuver between the two. There will always be automatic protective survival mechanisms kicking in, especially when there's fear involved. That's why they're there. And it's about learning how to handle them in a healthy way, redirect them, and use them in all kinds of different contexts. So yes, yes, and yes. Mm, so um, when I work with uh, teams, so it's better now? Yes. I'm sorry for the interruption. I forgot the last most important thing that I wanted to answer to this point is um, we think it's really important for, in order for people to learn something, they should be able to teach it. So we're teaching the employees of that company how to give their own workshops to each other. That's the one thing I wanted to add that closes the loop. Okay. So I think um, for me, what's really important when I work with teams and uh, that helps for them also to create more transparency is to create role charters. It's really to be clear about what is my role and what is wh what are the expectations from the others that towards me and what do I want to achieve, what I want to do, wh wh what can I do, what are my skills, um, for, 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 for what can I be responsible and accountable for. And... Um, this can be done um, in any context of structure, so it doesn't need to have be like an agile uh, organization, or um, it can also be done within hierarchy. So it's always it's needed to be clear about what's my role. And um, the other thing uh, that comes for me together with this is um, to uh, to set goals for the people. And I mean, we can just use the, from Google the objective and key results with this one method and it really helps uh, the management but also the people to know, okay, what is like uh, in terms of our, our vision, what, what, what are we aiming towards and how can I contribute to this, to, to this aim, to this, to this objective. And um, in regards to your um, question or your comment uh, with the startups, I think uh, especially if you have young entrepreneurs coming from university, uh, you, they, they are not really experienced in leading people. I mean, they they get a shit lot of money and can now start to build up their their company. Um, and what I would recommend, and I'm really a fan of digital tools, is to use like. Um, 
for example, something like Pecon, which you can just install and just get your uh, your employees to give your feedback about what is working, what is not working and it doesn't need to be that you need to be someone who's really experienced in leading people, give them the space adjust, you get feedback from the people what is working, what's not working and then you can, if you're like an open-minded person, you can maybe get a coach in and help with this coach to work on these specific fields if you want to uh, One comment on that, my experience is, and, and it doesn't doesn't um, necessarily connect to the age. I had a couple of founders who were over the 40s, very experienced, also very successful business people. Um, they just don't have the awareness, they don't have the understanding that there is a segment that is super crucial for their own success. Um, and I think my experience is it, it depends on luck if the person for whatever reason has an awareness for it. So may it be some software, may it be some other, whatever. It's about creating or making the, the, this segment of the whole project visible to, this, to the founder or to the person that decides. Once they understand and feel the need, they are open to everything because they, they, they understand and feel that it's crucial for their success. So something that I just want to sum up from this round um, and that like I connected to is I think on the one hand uh, is this importance of a psychological safety and like to create a psychological safety that connects, you know, like with being open, being vulnerable, uh, actually being open to experiment. You mentioned like the, the failure culture uh, earlier. And uh, then also like this importance of clarity and like structure. So like what's wanted from me, like where do we want to go as a team, like as an organization and so on. And this connects like very well to uh, like also the research that Google did on uh, effective teams. Um, so just to make this link. And then I've seen that Sasha uh, would like to join the circle. So maybe is that okay if I throw you out, Lucas? So... Uh Hi, I'm Sasha. Um, I've got a design background, uh, but I mostly moved from products to people via teaching some years ago. And um, I'm also running a community for design leadership. So there's many of those organizational topics constantly on the table. Um, one question to you, actually, in terms of setting goals, um, drawing from strategies for personal development, um, I actually dropped goals. Uh, and started to care about systems. Systems of doing things over and over and over, also known as habits, which I think in an organizational context could be reframed as processes, actually. I, th I consider processes as a kind of organizational habits. Also, rituals. You, you also, all of you actually mentioned team rituals and anything like that that creates kind of, kind of this bond and this uh, synchronization and this, uh, this alignment and um, my question actually to all of you is how do you deal with this or the problem with goals is once you get there what then does the behavior that brought you to the goal persist after you reach the goal actually if it's good for the organization how do you make the good things persist after goals are reached?
Yeah. Um, I would, I would, I would venture to say that it's a virtuous circle. <laughs> and once good things start happening and things start moving, uh, surprisingly enough, a lot, a lot of other good things start happening. So you sort of get into this movement. Um, I have to say that personally, I agree with the idea of goals. Um, and we, um, ourselves are doing a lot of goal setting right now. We had a, we created the first, uh, leadership day actually at, at, at my company. It happened in October. It was the first time that apparently we did something like that to that scale. And, um, concepted a series of workshops where, um, leaders or managers discussed, you know, what are the challenges that we have if we want to have, modern leadership and creative excellence. How do we do this? How do we bring these things together? What do we want to do in the future, etc.? Um, which led to a variety of interesting ideas. Um, and the challenge now actually is for them to create their own goals or sort of, we called them resolutions, um, out of that with their teams that they can then actively work on. And we purposefully kept that very broad in this first step and said, okay, you know, if you're someone who is very about profitability, feel free to make it a, you know, financial KPI um, for yourself. But then you have to figure out with your team how you're going to reach that financial KPI. Um, it could be a personal development resolution because you discuss with your team that you really need to work on a certain thing. Um, or it could be to change a certain meeting and do it differently. The only requirement is that you choose two, that you develop them with your team, and that you let yourself be measured by your team by that. And we do this in an ongoing fashion. Um, and it's a little bit of an experiment. <laughs> uh, but what I thought is interesting about the experiment is that it's um, people who up until now have always said, oh, they don't really have time for things and they don't, oh, I don't really know. They're all doing it. So I keep walking into offices and getting asked, oh, how would we, you know, we're doing this. We're going to do it a little bit differently. And I'm like, I don't care how you do it. It's just awesome that you are. So already you feel a, dy a dynamic. And that's why I said I believe in virtuous circles because the, you see a dynamic of sort of change sort of taking place just by the fact that you know, team leaders are involving their teams on a different level and discussing with them what kind of things they'd like to do. So um, I'm going to stick with virtuous circle for my answer on how to on how that keeps going. Did you want to? Do you have a? Um, so I'm Ian. I work at MyBit. We build financial applications on Ethereum, but our research team focuses a lot on workflow and governance. Um, and we kind of view the future of work as very different from kind of the general topic that's going on here. Um, we think it's more open and distributed where um, the community has a larger push on everything. And when we're talking about goals, um, right now, you know, the current structure of companies and the financing model um, kind of prevents goals from really benefiting the actual users of the company and everything. It's all financial goals because you can't really launch something right now um, without venture capital investment or something and you have to pay them back. So it, it's in the future, we don't really see it as the most sustainable way for the workflow to constantly extract value um, from the community and set goals that do that. Um, and you're pulling out money to pay back investors. We see it more as um, the future is setting up the operational structure of companies where the value gets retained in the community. Um, that being, what that means basically is when you charge a fee to use a service, um, it doesn't get pulled out to go to the investors in the bottom line and your goals aren't focused around that. 
Um, instead, it can get retained um, in through, you know, it could work with smart contracts or decentralized fund type things where the money gets retained in that and it creates an environment where people can contribute to that um, to enhance it. And it's normally um, the stakeholders that actually have a motivation because they're the ones that are using the product. And, you know, we see where that shifting in financial structure actually has potential now through the ICOs. You know, ICOs do have a lot of negatives to them, but it, what it really is is the first way that you can monetize an open source project that you're passionate about um, without having to rely purely on what your returns are. You know, most of the market right now is on speculation, but that's dying out. We really think it's a way um, to put money in something that you're passionate about and you can contribute to. Um, and we've actually tested out some stuff with that. We worked with Status with um, and had tremendous success on kind of trying an alternative workflow um, where anybody can contribute. So you don't have necessarily these internal teams in that hierarchical management structure. Um, but some things that we're still researching and questioning about, I'm curious on input, is um, you know, how do you really manage that at scale? Because you still need a core team that approves and kind of pushes the direction of it. Um, when you decentralize too far, you know, you lose productivity a lot. So how do you create that management structure, not, you know, the white European male? And you get more demographics and different stuffs in the, um, from different viewpoints. Um, and, you know, how do you continuously incentivize to build the product? And kind of changing the goals on how can I make an impact on the company um, and like realize my goal right away? Because a lot of times in the current corporate structure, when you complete something, you don't really see direct value from it. So you lose incentive and you kind of get this toxic environment where people don't really understand, you know, what they're really contributing to or passionate about. So, you know, that's relatively, it's still a complicated process to implement, but it can be done relatively simply from a startup perspective. But from a transformation stage, it how would you kind of approach migrating to that change from something that's already been established for decades um, and kind of explaining to people, you know, this is how kind of the future of work looks where you might not work a nine to five for one company. You could contribute to 10 or 20 different projects at the same time. And, you know, there's benefits of more freedom and flexibility. And if you don't like something, you can jump around. Um, and, you know, it helps with productivity because you're paid only when you complete something and you have the benefit of a community around you, like helping you out um, to advance yourself. But my questions are kind of on, you know, the governance of that, like I talked about earlier with who's reviewing and pushing the direction, and how would you actually transform this to companies that are already established? So <clears throat> Impact Hub has uh, five years ago decided as a network to move from a hierarchical structure to an association structure where each Impact Hub owns the Impact Hub uh, network uh, to equal parts. And we are a global network with over 100 locations, 100 people. We all have an overall mission working towards the SDG. Sorry, I can't run around. I have a bit of a sore back. Um, but, um, and the challenge I really see and the challenge we're currently facing is uh, once we move past 60 people, it's really, or 60 impact hubs, uh, it's very hard to keep uh, these common goals up and keep that people are equally contributing. What you were saying, I think it's really hard if you have the opportunity cost or like something else is more valuable or easier to switch. Uh, you still need a core group of people to contributing to an organization. I, I, I don't know if it's so translatable, but I think always overall an association is also decentralized ownership structure. So I think there's a lot to learn from there. Um, I don't have a concrete answer, but I think it would be really interesting to, to figure out. But I think 
Uh, we've looked into all kinds of forms of decentralized networks from the FIFA to ISAC to, I don't know, monks. And it's really hard because there is not the single answer out there. You really have to try and, and this kind of build measure learning type uh, form of working with it. Um, because as far as we know, and I think we've done very thorough work on this, there is no one structure out there that is currently working um, without flaws. Hi, um, I'm Katarina. I'm an agile consultant as well with a background in neuroscience research. And I've been, uh, for the past month, been working with startups that use blockchain technology. So that's a question that's come up. And um, so I want to give a concrete answer because I've been thinking about this. I really believe that in the future, it's all going to be value-based. So individuals are going to contribute to organizations whose values they align with. And I think the more you can take the values of the group that you want to attract into consideration, the stronger your core team is going to be. But those values, and I want to connect to what you said, of course they're going to shift. And I'm totally agreeing that this transformation, and especially values, is going to be and is going to stay uncomfortable. But I think with a growing decentralization of also work, that uncomfortable um, level is going to decrease because the second you have 20 projects that you're going to contribute to, it doesn't matter that much if in one of those con uh, those projects the values shift a lot. You're going to feel a lot safer. And we reconnect again to psychological safety. So you're kind of decentralizing your risk, you're decentralizing your contributions. So yeah, that's number one. Number two is uh, the role of the product owner. So I do a lot of Scrum uh, work and I think the moment you have the role of the product owner, so the person that's really responsible for the project and that kind of knows the stakeholders, knows the the scope, knows the core features and everything. As long as you have somebody in that role, you're going to be keeping that core team alive. Okay, I also see that uh, we have by now probably like seven more minutes. Um, something that uh, you mentioned, Nila, and I think it's uh, kind of the connection between, you know, like this future state, which I am also totally agreeing with, but uh, also like the humans and the organizations that are like uh, most and like the majority of today uh, are these like build measure learn circles and like we talked in a round table before like about the importance of like creating like these feedback and uh, and learning loops in order to yeah i mean also create a concept that's not uh, super new like the learning organization by peter zenger uh, that yeah i think was developed in the 70s i'm not sure um so i guess my question if nobody else wants to join this uh, circle would be to come back to something I think that Catherine mentioned at the beginning, uh, failure culture. And I think that's the closing loop um, also. So maybe we can do, what's the, you, okay. Okay, somebody wants to come in. Because I wanted basically to ask uh, as a closing circle um, about maybe a lesson learned that actually stems from failure. Thank you very much. Hello, uh, my name is Lucas, and I love this session, uh, especially all the work and the perspective of you. I would love to connect because um, basically you've been talking about my life and two of my projects. Uh, so it's like we are living this, but we need 
help <laughs> we need support and we did this lesson by ourselves as a team like between one is 35 people that self-organized this weekend we've met the first time in real life after working visual uh, over the internet for half a year um, and it's like positive blockchain io which like we're listing blockchain projects in a social impact field to highlight that area and uh, it's self-organized it's an international team and we had these challenges for this week, uh, weekend. Um, we, we tried to manage this by ourselves, but you do it like in a professional manner. So if you could like help us out, that would be amazing. Um, and, and it's amazing that people like this meet and exchange. And this is like happening all over the world. Like I was traveling now, Lisbon, Barcelona, and this is happening. Impact labs, uh, such meetups, uh, such perspectives your elements thank you very much for sharing this and and um connect please connect and multiply this on on here on this others and also like i would love the participants ask them for the context join them so extend this out of only one session at one night and and, and continue bring this into the culture of startups by the bigger corporations thank you very much Thank you. That was the perfect, uh, actually, <laughs> connection to my planned end. Um, that was exactly the intention to like bring as many like diverse pers uh, perspectives into the circle. And uh, what I actually would like to suggest is uh, that uh, everyone who would like to continue this discussion after this roundtable uh, is coming in. Uh, Give us uh, your contact details and we will see like if we can start a group uh, or whatever, like keeping on uh, connecting and exchanging experiences. So thank you, oh, Lucas. Uh, yeah, I'm confused now. Uh, thank you for that feedback. I think we need to close this round right now. Uh, the organizers will be th uh, very thankful if we close on time so thank you everyone for joining the circle uh, thank you everyone who started with me in there and uh, enjoy the rest of the conference <laughs>